Okay, you're supposed to greet one another when I don't tell you to. How's that? <laughs> if you have your Bibles, open with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. The Zambia team actually has a table in the hallway. I'm supposed to let you know that. So you can stop by and uh, get some more information from them. Impact, last week we needed about 30 drivers. You stepped up. We got all the drivers we need. We're very grateful for that. There's opportunity to host a few things. And uh, the big thing is we've got over 100 kids that are setting aside two weeks of their summer to serve and to do Bible school in our backyards. And uh, we need to feed them. And so it takes an army to feed an army. And so it's an opportunity for you to participate. Some of you are looking for ways to serve in our body. That's one of the ways you can serve about 100 kids needing food. You can contribute and be part of that on the table in the hallway. There is information regarding that particular opportunity. We're doing a series called uh, Shipwrecked, and we get that from 1 Timothy 1, when it talks about two guys named Alexander and Hymenaeus, whose faith has been shipwrecked, and we're saying we need to understand the word, have correct doctrine, if we are not going to become shipwrecked like they are. And so we begin by looking at bibliology, a study of revelation of God's word. Then we looked at theology proper, a study of God the Father. We looked at Christology, a study of, of Christ. We looked at pneumatology last week, a study of the Holy Spirit. And somebody asked me, what are you going to do after last week? That was a powerful week, and it was if you were here with us. Just a powerful ending to that message And as you stood up to show evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in our body. And I said, well, this week uh, we're going to preach about sin. So how's that for topping the Holy Spirit? We're going to look at the topic of sin. It's called homardiology, and it's a study of sin and our response to it. So God's Word says this, beginning in Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to her eyes, and the tree was desirable to make, make one wise. By the way, that's the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life right there. She saw all this. She took from its fruit, and she ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Father, as we look at sin, as we look at the fall of the first couple, Pray that you would help us to see this story, familiar story, in ways that would teach us the seriousness of what we've done. In Christ's name, amen. What do these names have in common? The Andrea Gale, the USS Arizona, the Endurance, the USS Indianapolis. What do those names have in common? Got it? If I just added one more name, you'd get it. The Titanic. Okay, famous ships or ships that have sunk. The Andrew Gale was made popular in a movie. What was the movie? Perfect Storm. If you haven't seen Perfect Storm, it's worth seeing. It's a good story. The Andrew Gale sunk on one of its fishing voyages. The USS Arizona, tragic story, docked at Pearl Harbor on Pearl Harbor Day. Uh, the USS Arizona was sunk. 1,177 men lost their lives that were on the Arizona. You can go to Pearl Harbor today, and you can see the remains of the Arizona there. It still leaks about one gallon of oil per day from the remains of that ship. 1,177 men lost their lives. The captain of the Endurance was whom? You don't know? What do you read out there? <laughs> Ernest Shackleton, one of my heroes. If you haven't read Shackleton, you need to do it. Google it up. Take a look at it. The USS Endurance was crushed by an ice pack when it was trying to get to the North Pole, and the ice pack in Antarctica trapped them, 
and uh, the ship was sunk. The USS Indianapolis was in the Philippine Sea. It was on a mission. It was a lot of mistakes were made on that particular mission. And uh, the long story short is that a Japanese uh, submarine attacked the USS Indianapolis. It sunk the ship. Hundreds of men survived, but it was shark-infested waters. Eventually, 844 men either lost their lives in the attack or were devoured by the sharks of the sea. Tragedy all around. The Andrea Gale, the USS Arizona, the Endurance, the USS Indianapolis all sunk, every one of them. That's the story of Genesis chapter 3. The story of Genesis chapter 3 is the sinking of mankind. The sinking of mankind. We call it original sin. It was not the original sin. The original sin was when Satan fell. Jot down Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. Take a look at it later. Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. That was the original sin. It was Satan's sin. But Genesis chapter 3 is the original sin of mankind. The original sin of the universe was Satan falling. Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. The original sin of mankind is Genesis chapter 3. And because mankind sunk, the result of that is we are not a little tainted, needed reformation. We are hopelessly helpless lost, standing in need of transformation. Genesis 3 is the birth of death. Describes the birth of death. You're familiar with the story. It begins all the way back in Genesis 2.16. It says, the Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden, you may eat freely. Adam and Eve had it all. They had a perfect home with God. He was their provider. He was their protector. He looked at Adam and said, Adam, from anything in the garden, you can have, you can participate, you can eat. God has made the scrumptious garden for them and they can have everything. But verse 17, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day you eat from it, you shall surely die. Adam and Eve, there are hundreds and thousands of trees out here. You, you can participate on it with any of them. You can eat from any single one of them. All your heart's content, all you desire, but there's one tree you cannot partake of, and that's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if you eat from that tree, you will die. What happens when you tell a child or an adult you can have everything except that one thing? We go to the nursery out there and we tell our kids, you can play with all the toys in the nursery except this one toy in the corner nobody's supposed to touch. What's going to happen in that nursery? Everybody's going to go for it. I mean, that's just the reality. He says, you can have everything you want. I've been dying and exercising. I've dropped a little poundage. I'm down to a ton. Actually, pounds. And we had our college family group over last month before they went away, and so we, we fixed for them, you know, once a month and have a bunch of kids in, and uh, we had dessert, and with that dessert, we bought some ice cream, and they didn't eat it all, so we stuck it in the freezer in the garage. And I, I've been watching this diet, and so I can have plenty of apples and oranges and grapes and beef jerky and protein bars, but every time I'd walk through my garage, I would hear, eat me, eat me, eat me, eat me. <laughs> And so finally one day when I thought Bev was sound asleep, <laughs> it's amazing how much ice cream you can wolf down when you think you might get caught eating it. And so you can have everything that there is, Gary, except this one thing, and what do you want? No different than Adam and Eve. No different. 
And so God says that whatever you want, you can go for it. Adam and Eve, you can have anything you want except to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And you're familiar with the story, chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said, you you shall surely not eat from any tree of the garden. That's not what God said. God had stated positively, you can eat from any tree of the garden but from this one tree. And so Satan was twisting the words of God himself, and Satan has been busy twisting the words of God ever since. And so she looks at him and says, from the fruit of the garden of the trees, we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it, lest you die. God didn't say not to touch it, he said not to eat from it. The reality is she adds to the word of God. Satan twisted, she adds, and people have been twisting and adding to the words of God ever since, and it's caused nothing but trouble. And the serpent said to the woman, you shall surely not die. He stands in complete defiance unto God. God has said, you will die, and Satan said, you won't die. God knows in that day you eat from it, your eyes are going to be open and you will be like him knowing good from evil. God doesn't want you to eat from that tree because he's not fair. He doesn't care and he doesn't want you to become like him. The woman saw the tree was good for food. She took it and she ate it. And her husband was there with her and he ate as well. God's enemy had achieved his greatest victory. Man and God were now separated. Adam and Eve could only hear the pounding of their hearts as God first asked their whereabouts, like a kid playing hide-and-seek, desiring to cover up from God. You know, that story is so familiar. My greatest fear is we read it, we gloss over it, and we forget the impact of it. Paul talks about the impact of it in Romans. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, he says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Paul is saying because we were in Adam, the result of Adam's fall is when Adam fell, we fell. I feel like I've taught this a hundred times. There are two different views of the transmission of sin. We call this total depravity. We call this a sin nature. We call this original sin. There are many names for this particular doctrine. But when Adam fell, we fell. That's what Paul is saying in Romans 5.12. There are two different views of the transmission of sin. One is the federal view, that is, Adam was our federal representative, and because he represented us, when he fell, we fell. There's a seminal view. We were actually in the semen of Adam, our first man, and the result of him falling, we've all fallen because we have all become those who are in line of Adam. And so the reality of it is when they fell, we fell, it registered on the Richter scale of life. The scriptures say in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Greek word for all there means what? All, every single one of us, period. All. Pastor Gary, are you saying that those precious little ones in the nursery are sinners? Those precious little ones you hear and hear that some mamas are holding right now, that, that they're sinners. Those grandkids of yours, they're sinners. I can attest to you, they are. (laughs) Four grandboys and a granddaughter, she's close, but she sins too. I mean, the reality of it is, because Adam fell, we were in Adam where he represented us, and the result of that is nobody has to teach their kids how to sin. We've talked about this dozens of times. Nobody takes their child aside and says, let me teach you how to throw a tantrum. But yet they throw tantrums. Nobody says, let me show you how to be selfish, but one of the first words kids learn is what? Mine. And it's because we all have the same sin nature. We've all fallen short of the glory 
of God. Romans chapter 3 verses 10 through 12 says this. It's a quote from the Psalms. There's no one, there's none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become useless. There is none who does good, not even one. What that passage tells us is nobody seeks after God. God seeks after us. What that passage teaches us, we and ourselves can do no good, but there's hope. Mankind has sunk, and the question is, can we be salvaged? That's the question. We we sunk. When Adam and Eve sunk, we too sunk because we were in him. It's a doctrine of total depravity. It doesn't mean that we're as bad as we can be, but it means we are as bad off as we can be. We are hopelessly, helplessly lost. Country music lyrics are interesting. Sometimes they get good theology. Here's good theology from a country western lyric. When I'm alone, I'm in bad company. That's the doctrine of total depravity right there. I I mean, that's good theology. When I'm alone, I'm in bad company. This is pre-Christ. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you haven't been saved, you haven't been radically transformed, when you're alone, you're in bad company. That's what the Word of God teaches. Mark Twain, I've quoted him several times. I've used a statement. Man was created a little lower than the angels. He's been getting a little lower ever since. How true that is. Albert Einstein was not a believer in Jesus, as far as we know. Never placed his faith in Christ, but he understood the condition of the human heart. Einstein said this, What terrifies us is not the explosive force of the atomic bomb, but the power of the wickedness of the human heart. Not even a believer recognizes how wicked the heart of man can be. Michael Metzger is a modern-day theologian. He talks about the effects of the fall, how it's impacted every single area of our existence and every single area of our life. He writes, our consciences, callings, art, ethics, responsibility, family and marriage, health, history, imagination, kingdom, culture and society, work, ecology, angelic realms, academics, leisure and rest, worship, sexuality, and language are stained by the sin of the original couple. What Metzger is saying is that the fall has tainted every single aspect of who we are in the world around us. Romans chapter 8 says even creation groans for the day of its redemption. One day there'll be a new creation, one day there'll be a new heaven, a new earth, and everything will be redeemed. But until then, there's a groaning that takes place even in God's creation because Adam and Eve fell and everything has been impacted by sin. Everything, your sexuality, the arts, every single part of who we are and the world around us has been impacted by sin. Our hearts are tainted. Jeremiah says the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? You thoroughly depressed yet? (laughs) I mean, you recognize this is the nature of mankind. Mankind is not a little tainted in need of reformation. We are totally lost in need of transformation. That's what the Word of God teaches. It's quite interesting that after Adam and Eve fell, she looks, she takes, he's with her, he eats. Both of them realize they're naked. Then what's the very next thing they do? Look at verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Every other time when they heard the sound of God coming towards them, it was something they looked forward to. It was a time of fellowship. It's like at the end of the day and daddy's coming home or mommy's coming home and kids run to the door to greet him. Every other time, whenever they heard God coming, they would run to meet him. But this time, look at what they did. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. There are two things to note there. First of all, there was no hiding from God until sin entered the world. There was no hiding from God. 
Then all of a sudden Adam and Eve sin and they started hiding and mankind has been hiding ever since. You ever try and hide from God? Let me ask you a real basic question. It's not a trick question. When you hide from God, who's going to win? But yet we hide. We hide behind computers. We hide behind televisions. We hide behind anger. We hide behind drugs and alcohol. We hide behind any number of things because we don't want to come face to face with the living God. Adam and Eve sin. The first thing they do after that sin, they realize that they are experiencing emotion they have never experienced before. It's the emotion of guilt and shame. And so they hide. They hide. It's like a kid who's hiding from a mom and dad because they did what was wrong and they don't want to be caught or they don't want to pay the consequences. That's Adam and Eve. So the Lord God called and he said, where are you? Now let me ask you a question. Do you think God knew where they were? I mean, how many people inhabit the planet at this point in time? Dos. No mas. That's it. Do you think God needed a GPS to find Adam and Eve? I'm looking for you. Of course he knew where they were. He's given Adam and Eve the opportunity to come forward. His grace has been extended to them to come forward and to confess and say, God, we're guilty. God, we're wrong. God, we're before you. But they don't do that. And so he calls out, where are you? And Adam says, I heard the sound of you walking in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid myself. Note well that he says we're afraid. First time fear is mentioned in the Bible. The result of sin is that they hid because of their guilt and shame. The result of sin is that they were fearful. It's a result of their sin. And so he says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat, Adam? And Adam did what every self-respecting man would do, caught in a situation like that. He does more than that, though. Look at verse 12. The woman whom you gave me. God, you gave her to me, and it's her fault. I mean, really what he's doing, he's blaming God, he's blaming the woman, and rather than just standing up, you want to say, man up, dude, just say, I'm guilty, I'm wrong. Instead, he says, the woman you gave to me. And so Eve, following the lead of her husband, when she's asked, what does she say? (laughs) Doofus over here. The guy over there. The serpent. The snake, the snake, it's his fault. And mankind has been passing the buck ever since. We're caught in our sin, we either hide or we blame somebody else. Rather than confessing, which is what we should do to be in a right relationship with the Savior. And so Adam and Eve are caught. Adam and Eve sin. And the result is sin has entered the world. And because of that, because of that, we're all in trouble. We're sunk. You follow the book of Genesis and you see that it's just a mess. I mean, if you look at the families in Genesis, it's like a Jerry Springer episode. I mean, you've got Cain and Abel. Cain is jealous of Abel. He kills him. Lamech introduces us to polygamy. Noah, the most righteous man of his generation, gets drunk and curses his own grandson. 
Lot's home is surrounded by evil men. He offers his daughter instead of men because they wanted homosexual relationship with him. Adam plays fa- or Abraham plays favorites between sons after he goes into his handmaiden and they become estranged. And it's a sordid, sad story. And you might ask, why all of this dysfunctionality and why all of these families in Genesis? Because the author is showing us the impact of Genesis 3. Sin entered the world. Death with sin, and every one of us are impacted. So can mankind be salvaged? Well, you fast forward to Leviticus chapter 16. You've got your Bibles, Leviticus chapter 16. We've looked at this many times. Just kind of look for the clean pages in the front of your Bible. That's probably the book of Leviticus. That's where you stop when you read through the Bible. It's page 185 in my Bible, if that helps. And what we find there is the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. We've talked about that many times. I just want to point out one thing. You know on Yom Kippur, high priest represented the nation, went into the Holy of Holies, spilled the blood of a sacrificed goat on behalf of the nation on the mercy seat. So now God would look through to his people who are represented in the Ark of the Covenant through the blood that had been spilled. But here's what I want you to note, Leviticus 16:34. It says, "Now you shall have this as a permanent statute to make atonement for the sins of, for the sons of Israel for all their sins once every year." Every year they had to do this. Every year they had to come back and they had to go through Yom Kippur and they had to offer the goat and they had to send the scapegoat out in the wilderness and the nation had to gather and every year they had to do it because it was a temporary sacrifice. You see, these were sinful people offering a sinful sacrifice and the result is they could only temporarily postpone the debt of sin. It looked ahead to the perfect sacrifice, the one who would come and offer his life as the only perfect sacrifice in mankind. And so what we see is that there is a permanent solution for sin. The permanent solution is written about in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews chapter 10, it says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. All they could do was postpone the sin, but we're waiting for the perfect sacrifice. So we go to the book of Hebrews, and in Hebrews chapter 7, it says it was fitting for us to have such a high priest. What kind of high priest? A high priest that was holy, that was innocent, that was undefiled, that separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He's a high priest unlike any high priest who's ever lived because he is a high priest who is without sin. He does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices for for his own sin. If you go to Leviticus 16 or early in the book of Leviticus, the priest had to go through many things so that they could be prepared to offer sacrifices for for, for the nation. They had to make sure that they, sinful priests, first of all, came with their sacrifices so that they could be forgiven. And once they were forgiven as sinful men, then they could offer sacrifices on behalf of the other people. But this sacrifice, this high priest is different than everyone because he is holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted from heaven. And so it says, he then became the sacrifice for the sins of the people because this he did once and for all when he offered himself up. What that scripture teaches us is that the sacrificer became the sacrifice. Did you hear that? The sacrificer, the innocent, holy, undefiled, high priest, became the sacrifice. He offered himself up. And because he was innocent and because he was holy and because he was undefiled, he qualified to be the perfect sacrifice on our behalf. 
And we don't have to do it every year like the nation of Israel did. It was a once and for all sacrifice. In fact, when we celebrate the Lord's table, we do it at TBC as a memorial. We look back upon what Christ has done. We celebrate our salvation. We celebrate what Jesus has done. If you grew up in the Catholic Church, as uh, the Italian side of my family did, and we often went to Mass with my dad when we, you would go to take the Eucharist. But before you took the Eucharist, uh, the, the body, the, the, the elements were transformed miraculously. This is the belief, miraculously transformed into the body and the blood of Jesus. It's called transubstantiation. Actually, they became the body and the part of the body, literally the body and the blood of Christ. There's a miracle that takes place. The problem with that is it's like re-crucifying Christ every week. You don't have to do that. The price has been paid. The sacrifice is done. He's no longer on the cross and he's no longer in the grave because he's alive. Amen? And so that's why we memorialize. There's nothing magical about the elements, but it is a great memory for us to celebrate what our Savior has done because we have a high priest who is holy and innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. The sacrificer became the sacrifice, offered a once and for all sacrifice on our behalf. The price of redemption has been paid. Two questions beg to be answered. In light of this doctrine. Number one, since we are all sunk, but can be salvaged through Jesus, the question is this. Have you personally applied the blood of Christ to your heart for the forgiveness of your sin? It's a basic question. It's one thing to know all this. It's another thing to experience it. The question that begs to be answered is, have you, as a result of what you see before you from God's word, accepted the permanent solution for sin, and that is the offering of Christ of forgiveness to you from sin through him? The holy, innocent high priest who became sin, who knew no sin, and did that for you. Have you experienced that? And if you have, or you're living a life of gratitude and worship for the debt he paid, is your life filled with worship, the King of kings and Lord of lords? We sang that song, you are my king. Jesus, you are my king. Is your life filled with gratitude and worship, the King of kings and Lord of lords? About five years ago, we had an interesting thing happen in our family. I sent in my mortgage payment, and uh, a couple of weeks later, I got a call from the mortgage company. They said, Mr. DeSalvo, we think there's a mistake here. And I said, uh, I knew I paid the right amount, and I said, uh, what's the mistake? And they said, well, your mortgage has been paid off in full. And I said, really? I mean, I know we had not done that, and said... Yes, sir, your mortgage has been paid off in full completely. You don't owe us any more money. We'll be sending you the paperwork, the title, et cetera. It's all yours. And I said, you're kidding. And they said, no, we're not. Actually, I'm kidding. That never happened to us. (laughs) I wouldn't mind if it happened to us. I use that story all three hours. After first hour, one of our guys came to me and said, Gary, you know, that happened to us. It happened to us about 20 years ago. My dad came in with some money, and 
lo and behold, paid off our mortgage. If you're that dad, Bev and I are willing to be adopted by you right now. <laughs> yeah, it's a great story, though, isn't it? Hey, we're just talking about paying off a house, though. Think about somebody paid off your sin. Think of somebody who made the ultimate sacrifice on your behalf, who died when you should die. I mean, it'd be a great story if somebody paid off your mortgage. When we say, yeah, do you think if somebody paid off your mortgage, you'd remember them? That my brother that told me that the first time, he said, Gary, there's not a month that goes by when we would normally pay our mortgage that we don't thank God for my dad, and he died a number of years ago. You would have gratitude in your heart if somebody paid off your mortgage for them. You would remember them, you would know who they are, and you would have great gratitude. What about the one who paid for your sins? with his life? Is your life filled with worship and gratitude to him for what he's done? Tim Keller said this. He said, we are more wicked than we could ever imagine. We are. But we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we could ever have hoped for. You, my friend, are more loved and accepted in Christ than you could ever hope for. The price of sin, it's great. Price of freedom is high. Price of freedom this Memorial Day weekend for us as a nation is the death of our sons and daughters, our moms and our dads, our grandparents. The high price. The freedom we experience from sin comes at a high price too. The death of God's only son on our behalf. Adam and Eve's sin had grave consequences for all of mankind. Their impact, the impact of that sin continues in each of our lives today. When I sin, when you sin, same thing happens. When we bite the forbidden fruit, there's great impact all around us. It wasn't really difficult at all. It was easy. Simple. I just decided to do it. I just reached out and took it. It was a little thing. It's not like it mattered at all. I just felt like doing it. It was not a big deal. No one else even knows. Besides, it was fun for me, all right? It was a chance I wanted to take. This is how people succeed. I have a lot of pressure on me. This is how I cope. Honestly, I felt I needed to do this. Someone else gave it to me anyway. Everyone else was involved, and they expected me to follow suit. I was advised that I should. If you knew what I go through, You'd understand. In fact, if I actually felt responsible, I might be more concerned. And frankly, it's my business. I'm an adult. I'm the only one affected. It was my choice, my consequence. Besides, you don't really think my doing this. My doing this. My doing this. My doing this. You don't think my doing this will affect anyone else, do you?
the impact of sin. It's great. Forgiveness is even greater. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that we can sing, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven because you paid the debt. and We can be free. If you're here today and you're not sure if Christ is your Savior, if you've experienced that forgiveness, I'd love to talk with you. I invite you to pray right now and ask him for that forgiveness and he'll give it to you. And if you've experienced that, my prayer is your life will be filled full of worship and thanksgiving for a Savior who paid the ultimate price giving his life on your behalf. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you, we honor you, and we adore you. And we go our way to celebrate you in your name. Amen. You're dismissed.